a radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes Scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. I don't know that I necessarily want the people to remember my sermon for uh, a week as much as I want them to uh, receive that Word of God right there. If this is a, uh, a download of information, it's important that you retain that information. Yeah. But if this is being addressed by a, a burning bush, I know that a burning bush talked to me. And I said to the guy, uh, look, at when the Bible talks about vision, it's, it's talking about the death of Jesus. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. It's talking about the gospel. It's talking about confessing the creed. And his answer to me was, yeah, uh, I'm not using vision in the biblical sense, but rather in the business sense. <laughs> okay, then. All right. I, by the way, had no knowledge of that encounter when I posed the hypothetical. <laughs> well, welcome. It's another edition of Table Talk Radio here in your uh, earbuds or on your radio. And uh, a special edition, too, because we're playing Iron Preacher and Pastor Wolfmuller isn't even in studio. That's right. <laughs> so well, this is, I, I take my studio with me. I'm in the parking lot of the Kalispell, Montana airport, which is as good as anywhere to beat Ketchemeyer at Iron Preacher, I'd say. Yeah, so we have Brian Ketchemeyer, pastor of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Los Alamos, New Mexico. And the judge for Iron Preacher Day is our usual judge, Dr. Carl Fikensher, Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Welcome, Dr. Fikensher. It's great to be with you, Evan. Thank you so much. So uh, for those who have never heard this before, the way Iron Preacher works is we give the preachers a text right off, and they start working on their sermon. They have about 10 minutes or so to prepare a sermon, and then we hear each sermon, and our judge uh, renders a winner. So let me get to the text first. This is Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 13, and that reads thusly. And they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of Gerasenes, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him uh, out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he uh, wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you do to what do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. They were begging him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and herd numbering and uh, the pigs and the herd, numbering about two thousand, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. All right, pre preachers, good luck writing a sermon on that text. Love to hear it in a little bit. In the meantime, I have the delight to talk to Dr. Carl Fikincher, um about a, a fantastic opportunity that's going on this summer, uh, and that is a continuing education class. One of the fantastic things that the seminary does is they send their professor, their faculty all over the country to teach ongoing education classes for pastors and for lay people. 
And Doctor for Kincher is coming to Rogue River, Oregon, July 20 through 22nd. And uh, Doctor for Kincher, tell us a little bit about that class, uh, uh, our, the law and gospel in today's world. Yes. Uh, the, the, the full title is, Are Today's Ears Hearing the Timeless Message, Communicating Law and Gospel in Today's Culture? And it is an opportunity to look at something which is exceedingly traditional. That is to say, law gospel is the thing that God has been communicating to us in Scripture from the time he first uh, started speaking to Adam and Eve after the fall. Uh, and yet, we recognize that our hearers today, in, in some significant ways, really are different from a generation ago, a hundred years ago, a thousand years ago, and so on. Um, what we want to do is look at how preachers have addressed their own situations through a couple of millennia, really, and, and see if it's uh, all kind of the same, if every preacher has, has seen his hearers the same way as we do ours today, or if they have recognized some differences among their hearers, then, if they did recognize differences among their hearers, did they actually do something different in their preaching? All of this, of course, is guided by the idea that it is the timeless message of Christ Jesus, our need for the Savior, the law, and the delivering of the Savior to us by God, the gospel, that uh, is to be proclaimed in every generation. That, that really is timeless. Uh, and so it's, a, it's an interesting challenge, I think, to consider how we can keep a timeless message unchanged as we consider communicating it in different ways. And uh, this is a little bit of a spoiler alert, but uh, we're going to find, as we look at preachers through uh, a couple of millennia, that they really have recognized some differences uh, among their hearers and have done some things differently. So uh, we need not be afraid of doing some things creatively, differently uh, in our preaching. But, of course, we have to be very careful that things we do in, in tinkering with our, uh, our formatting of the sermon, our delivery of the sermon, and so on, doesn't really substantially change the message. And that, that, that's no small task, because uh, uh, we, we often say these days that the medium is a message, if not the message, at least a message. And, and so the, the way we uh, arrange things, the way we package things, the way we deliver things, can affect the message that is being delivered. It's a challenge. Uh, certainly it is. And um, we should say, for those who attend the class in Rogue River this summer, uh, Monday evening there is a riverboat ride for an additional $67 for attendees. And um, you will get wet on this trip, I'm just going to warn you. So um, now you don't have to wear your little arm floaties or anything, Dr. Frickensher. I think you'll okay. be safe. But um, okay. but that, that'll be in store as well. No, but, but to go back to your mess, to your uh, to what you're just saying, I mean, it sounds like a little bit of a uh, oxymoron what you said because the the law gospel message is in fact timeless, and yet there is a way in which hearers could completely miss the message. What are some obstacles to hearing that message today? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, uh, it seems that in the the last uh, several decades, um, the, uh, the, 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 the receptors, the sensory receptors of hearers have changed. It, it just one example, we, we'll go back a lot further in the course and, and move on a little further beyond in the future, but uh, as one example, uh, the Gutenberg Revolution, that is the, the printing press in the 15th century, not long before Luther's day, caused people to do much more reading than they had ever done in the past. In the past, 
communication was largely oral, uh, spoken, and heard. And as soon as people started to read, they started to do more with their eyes, less with their ears, and it became a more focused kind of sensory perception, uh, where one sense, the vision, was doing a higher percentage of the receiving than in the past when someone hearing someone else speak would hear, of course, but would also see and, and, and sometimes even touch. So when the uh, reception was more limited to just one sense, uh, it became uh, a, a really different uh, experience on the learning end than it had been in the past. Now, more recently, when the electronic media has enabled us to see things, yes, but also hear things, and, and, and even engage other ways, like, like some of the electronic media does have the, the sensory, the touching as well, uh, that actually changes the way people have come to learn. Uh, preachers are still primarily working with a monologue format, a one person standing up and, and delivering. And uh, the question is, uh, could there be other senses engaged? But if we do, uh, does that change the message? And it, it is really a very dynamic kind of thing. Uh, I'm this is a little bit of a spoiler alert, I suppose, but I, I'm certainly one who is uh, exceedingly cautious uh, in, in changing significantly some of the things we've done in, in preaching. And I, I think we could make a very good case for uh, an awful lot of the things we've done traditionally in preaching still being very useful, very effective, as long as certain particular elements are in place. And those really are the specific law gospel criteria that I'll offer and suggest in the, in the course. Okay, one more uh, reminder is the continuing education class um, taught by Dr. Carl Frickenscher of Concordia Theological Seminary will be taking place in Rogue River this summer, July uh, uh, 20th through 22nd. And if you would like more information on registration for that class, uh, you can visit uh, our website. Look into the description of this show at tabletalkradio.org, uh, and uh, you can find out more about that class. Um, you can also probably go to uh, ctsfw.edu uh, for that information as well. But like I said, it's going to be a, a fantastic time in beautiful Rogue River. There's probably not a better place uh, in the United States to go than Southern Oregon. Um, and again, to enjoy the, the riverboat ride as well. Let's check in with our preachers. Evan, may, may I add one little other commercial? And I, I'm sure that people in Gallatin, Tennessee, would, would uh, agree that Rogue River, Oregon, <laughs> is, is the most beautiful place in the country to do this. But this very same course will be offered by the same presenter June 8th through 10th <laughs> in, in Tennessee. So. Well, uh, you not, have, you, not that anyone would pass up Rogue River, but no, some might yeah, not be I mean, you have it. your choice. You want to go to Tennessee and drink whiskey, or do you want to come to Rogue go. River and ride down the river? <laughs> All right, preachers, mm, that, that I hope... River sounds pretty good. Yeah, I hope you're ready, preachers, because uh, we're time, coming up on our break, and we get back from this break, we're going to hear a sermon first from Pastor Brian Wolfmuller of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado, and also Pastor Brian Kessemeyer. Yeah. In uh, Los Alamos, New Mexico, don't go away. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. Sure don't try to deny it, pretty baby. You've been down so long you can hardly see. When the engine start and it won't stop raining, it's the right time to roll the
It's really classy up here. Table Talk Radio will be right back. Some people call me the space cowboy. Yeah. Some call me next to love. Some people call me Maurice. Alright, being on the phone doesn't stop Pastor Wolfman from singing along to the bumper music. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. Um, the uh, Iron Preacher is about to preach on the text from Matthew 5, but we have to do that first with a proper introduction. That is, Did you change um, the text from Mark, Mark 5 to Matthew 5? No, Mark 5. Okay, Mark but the preacher yeah, is Brian Wolfmuller from Hope Lutheran Church. <laughs> <laughs> That's more like it. That music makes me so angry, you know. <laughs> yeah, that, that was going to be a law sermon. Okay, um, Pastor Rolfley, whenever you're ready, you have five minutes, and a buzzer will tell you when you've gone too far. All right. In the name of Jesus, amen. The devil, dear saints, hates you, and he has wicked plans for you. Now, uh, he doesn't want you to know this. In fact... He wants you to think that he loves you, that he, he wants the best for you, that God wants to come along and steal your fun and limit your life, that God wants to put ropes and chains around you and bind you so that you can't go where you want to go or do what you want to do. The devil has all the fun. God is boring. The devil has liveliness. The, God is a suppressing a meanie who wants the worst for you. But if you want to see what the devil has in mind, if you want to see where the devil wants to take you, if you want to see what his plans are for you, then look at the exhibit of the text, the man in the tombs in Gerasene. Jesus goes, and there he is. He's, he's naked or living in rags. He's afflicted. He's tormented, and he's tormenting. He's living in the tombs. He can't even live in the city. He terrorizes the neighbors. They tried to they tried to put chains around the man just to contain him, and he broke them. This is living in darkness and plummeting to death, and that, dear saints, is what the devil has in mind for you. That is his end game. That is his goal. That's what he's working towards. Make no mistake about it. All of his enticements, all of his allurements, all of it is coming to us disguised like an angel of light. All of it is to end us up as in the tombs with this man. He is the wicked one who comes to kill and to steal and to destroy. But Jesus loves you. He truly loves you. And his plans for you are entirely different. His plan for you is life and salvation and the forgiveness of all of your sins. He comes to break the chains that bind us, the chains of sin and death and the devil. In fact, he comes to fight against the devil and to break his kingdom, to, to shine upon his kingdom of darkness with a word, come out of him, and it happens. The strong man is bound by the stronger man, overcome by the stronger man. His kingdom is lost to the stronger man, to your stronger man, to Jesus, to the one who truly loves you. And it is Jesus who takes the chains of your sin and takes them on himself. It is Jesus who takes the, the grave clothes that are wrapped around you and wraps them around himself. It is Jesus who is there to be devoured by the devil so that you would be free. 
And this is exactly what he does in the text. It is exactly what he does on the cross. And it is, is it exactly what he does in his word when he sets you free. The devil hates you, but Jesus loves you. And he has delivered you to his joy and to his peace and to his life. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Now, before we get before we turn to Dr. Verkincher for a response, um, Pastor Wolfmiller, what's been the uh, reaction to your preaching from the TSA agent right there in front of you? <laughs> I was I was hoping uh, an airplane just landed like two minutes before we came out of the break. I was hoping that it wasn't going to start taking <laughs> off in the middle I of mean, the sermon. If, if the TSA agent this is in the parking like... lot is vacant, I keep expecting the, <laughs> the, the shuttle to come up and all, the guy to offer to grab my bag and take me to the gate. I was going to say maybe if the guy's in so tears, far, so maybe that would uh, be an extra point or two on the anyway. Doctor Doctor Fikentra, let's turn to you for a response. Uh, what's your uh, analysis of Pastor Wolfmiller's sermon? Well. Well, first of all, I, I would say uh, preaching in the very public square of the airport uh, on the devil is, is a bold thing to do in this day and age, to, uh, to recognize there really is a devil out there who hates us, who wants to oppress us and, and uh, bring us to an end game in the tombs. Is pretty bold. That's the kind of thing that catches people's attention. It's, it's the kind of thing that uh, uh, usually uh, means signs uh, caught on TV at uh, football games and so on. So good job, Brian. That's uh, we appreciate that, Pastor. Uh, clear, very very clear theme and uh, very clear law gospel in the theme. The devil hates you. Jesus loves you. That's about as as clear a dichotomy as you could get. The image of the imagery of the text is very rich. Of course, it is an historical narrative. It actually happened, uh, but the thing that happened was so very, very vivid, so picturesque. And Pastor Wolfmuller did a good job of giving us that that imagery. We we heard uh, grave clothes. We saw naked. We saw tormented. We saw darkness. We saw death. We saw. I, I love the term the devil's end game. He wants to have you in the tombs with this man. Death was so obvious, and, and it was ugly. It was, a, it was a scary kind of thing. Even picturing this poor, tormented man being made so strong by the legion of demons that he could break the chains and no one could bind him, uh, this was a, a very, very vivid kind of picture on the law side. Then you come back with the, the stark contrast, but Jesus loves you. We, we say that so often. We sing it in children's hymns. Uh, it, it could become cliche, but my goodness, is it ever rich and is it beautiful in contrast to what the devil has done? To say Jesus loves you after all that ugliness turns from law to gospel in a, in a beautiful way. He offers life, salvation, forgiveness. He wants to break the chains, uh, to uh, break Satan's kingdom. And when he says the words come out, it happens. I liked uh, Pastor Wolf Mueller's reference of the strong man now being bound by the stronger man, by Jesus Christ. And I love very much the imagery of Jesus wrapping the grave clothes around himself in order to set us free. All he said, because of the cross. Uh, and of course, that's where every sermon really must terminate. The, the place where every sermon turns from, from death to life, from law to gospel, from, from ugly to beautiful, from, from death to, to, to life and love, uh, is always the cross of Jesus Christ, and that's very, very much the case here. Um, that wasn't elaborated, it wasn't explained quite how that was the case, and actually uh, Pastor Wolf Mueller must be catching that plane because he, he had a couple of minutes that he didn't use 
there he might actually have elaborated for us a little bit more on how it is Jesus' death on the cross taking the sins upon himself, the sins that made us prisoners of Satan, uh, and, and when those are taken away, we're set free, set free from Satan. Uh, that really turns the tide, but certainly the cross was still clear there. And so I would say this is a, a very fine job of proclaiming the, the, the vivid text in a vivid way and making the law and the gospel quite unmistakable in what Christ has done for us. Good job. Solid job. Do- Thank do- you. Dr. Fikincher, uh, with just a, a couple minutes here, um, some people think, look, uh, I, I never see this. I haven't seen demons. Uh, I've never seen a guy rip a chain with his bare hands. I've never seen right. demons go into pigs. Is this uh, even historical? Is it even relevant? How how can this even matter to my life? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, I think one thing, and obviously it's true that with more time in a, a full length sermon, one could engage some of the uh, alternatives that people are offering nowadays, whether it be insanity, uh, epilepsy, all, all kinds of things are used as. Uh, uh, naturalistic explanations of demon possession. But what uh, even this very brief sermon had going for it was preaching the event as just assumed to be an event, assumed to be historical. Um, in certain uh, venues, uh, we really do have to do a lot of apologetics. We do have to argue the case uh, for uh, historicity of certain events like this when people are skeptical. That doesn't bring anyone to faith, but it does at least earn us a hearing. On the other hand, with most of our congregations, confessional Lutheran congregations, uh, the, our hearers believe that what the text says happened, happened. And so we normally don't have to make extensive arguments for the historicity. Uh, what Pastor Wolf Mueller did was just proclaim that what the text says happened, happened. And it's uh, it's the agreement that uh, a confessional Lutheran pastor to a confessional Lutheran congregation uh, really does, for the most part, enjoy. Your other uh, observation there about the relevance, this is also something we'd love to bring out with, a, with more time in the sermon, and to say that even though the, the number of cases we might observe of actual demon possession are few, I can't say I've seen a single one in my life, nevertheless... Uh, the devil is the prince of this world, and our sin has made us subject to Satan. It's even true that in the baptismal order that Martin Luther devised, it begins with an exorcism where we tell the Holy Spirit, or rather tell the evil spirit to get out of this infant and make way for the Holy Spirit who enters the child through uh, baptism. And so what we're recognizing there is that while demon possessions of this nature um, uh, happened and can happen again. They may not be the most common way this, that, that Satan works, but he does work very actively in our world, and what Christ does in setting us free from sin <laughs> sets us free from all the works of the devil. All right, let's see if Pastor Ketchemeyer is up to the challenge. After this commercial break, we'll hear a sermon on the same text, Mark chapter 5. Don't go away. You're listening to Table Talk Radio and uh, Pastor Ketchemeyer Surrender right after this.
you're listening to Table Talk Radio, because cable's expensive. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio in the middle of a game of Iron Preacher where we have two preachers preach off and our judge, Dr. Carl Fikensher, uh tells us uh, what the qualities, the pros and cons of each sermon and how uh, the gospel could be more clearly proclaimed or the advantages uh, in, uh, in rightly distinguishing this word of law and gospel. Uh, before We need to have our proper introduction of our challenger preacher, that is... Pastor Brian Ketchemeyer of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Los Alamos, New Mexico. Now, Pastor Pastor Ketchemeyer, I understand that's usually the opening hymn as you enter the pulpit at uh, Redeemer Lutheran. Is that right? (laughs) There you go. Only in the, the season of Easter. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Okay, well, whenever that, you're ready... That does strike me as a very seasonal hymn. Yeah. It's, <laughs> whenever it's a you're ready... Uh, it's a, a Christus Victor hymn. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> all right. That's all. The pulpit's yours. All right. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Alleluia. And this ascended Lord of ours, he will come again to judge the living and the dead. And we all will stand before him. And in fact, we will all bow down before Jesus. And we all will ask that question, what do you have to do with me, Jesus? Of course, we know the answer because God gives us the revealed knowledge of salvation throughout the Scripture, that Jesus is the Creator. He is the Redeemer. He's the one who has come to do these things for us, to give us life and to restore it, to release the captives by preaching good news. We need good news because we live in a fallen world, a world in which creation is corrupted, it is in rebellion against God, and the devil has enslaved us with a falsehood and darkness and uncleanliness before God, unholiness before God. And we see this in the passage here from the Gospel text, that here's a man who is in this fallen creation, a man who is enslaved, a man who lives and dwells among the dead, the tombs. And this man is captured. He is part of the devil's dominion, and he cannot break free. Now, people try to, to hold him. They try to contain him. They try to restrain, restrain him. They bound him with shackles and chains, but none of this can help at all. It's all for naught. But then in walks Jesus, and this man falls before Jesus, and he says, What do you have to do with me, Jesus? Now again, we know the answer. Jesus is the creator, he's the restorer, he comes to release the captives and preach good news. And this man needs to hear good news. This man needs to be released the same thing in our lives, that we all should meditate upon this question and and think about this. We all will stand before Jesus at one day, 
and that we will all bow down, every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess. But before that day, we have this opportunity now to meditate on the truth. What do you have to do with me, Jesus? What do you have to do with me now in this fallen world and in the life to come? You see, we've all found ourselves as part of this captivity of the devil, this enslavement, this tyranny, and this oppression. And we are all captive. We are slaves to sin. Sin is what we do and what we do best. And we cannot ain't it? We cannot restrain it. We try to put shackles and chains upon it so that we do not sin anymore, but it's all to no avail. And so then in walks Jesus. And just like this man with the unclean spirit, we ask that question. What do you have to do with me, Jesus? Well, we know from the scripture that he comes to release the captives to preach good news. And so just like Jesus speaks to this man with the unclean spirit and says to the spirits, come out of the man, you unclean spirit, so too he says the same to us in the gospel message, the message of the cross in which he bestows his forgiveness and his release upon us. And so as that man with the unclean spirit stands before Jesus, and Jesus then asks him a question, what is your name? the man responds, legion, because there are many of these unclean spirits that have entangled him. Well, Jesus then casts all of these unclean spirits out, and they go into the unclean pigs and into the sea. So again, the question is, what do you have to do with me, Jesus? We'll release you, and to preach this good news to you, to restore you, and to bring you out of darkness into his kingdom of light. And so he does the same thing with us. And now he looks at us and he says, what is your name? And you stand before him and you say, well, my name is Sinner, because this is what I've inherited from Adam, my father. And then he casts out these unclean spirits in us in the waters of baptism and gives to us a new name, that is Saint. And so now we stand before him as new creation. And in Christ there is no condemnation. And instead of the devil oppressing us and reigning over us, Christ gives to us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is restoring us and renewing us to the new life that we now have in him. That was a buzzer beater. I mean, that was like seconds away. It's like the three-point shot <laughs> just leaving the hand into the... Oh, that was beautiful, Pastor Ketchemeyer. Um, so, <laughs> Dr. Fredkincher, please, uh, what, how would you uh, bring an analysis to Pastor Ketchemeyer's sermon? Well, the, the question, of course, when you uh, beat the buzzer is, did the shot go in? Was it a win? That, that's <laughs> what I'm hoping to find out. <laughs> that's what we're about to find out. Well, this was interestingly done, and I, I'm analyzing it even as I speak. There was a very clear theme here as well. What do you have to do with me, Jesus? It was introduced early, and it was used as an effective refrain. Initially, I, I felt that the question was rhetorically attractive, but wasn't really answered textually. Uh, initially, I, I didn't think it really went to the question of a demon, or a legion of demons, in fact, inside a person saying, Jesus, what do you have to do with, with us, with uh, each of us demons, those uh, uh, henchmen of hell? Uh, and... Uh, that, of course, was, was the initial question. The answer to that is intriguing. 
that Jesus has come to break the oppression of the devil, to, to cast Satan's demons out. Uh, and then uh, the next question, of course, what does that have to do with us? And I thought, likewise, I, I wanted to hear that addressed a little more directly initially. Now, I would say, though, as the, the refrain went on and was asked again and again, I thought it began to be more and more focused on, on where the text really uh, would have it go. It was relatively late in the sermon that the address really went to the legion of demons, uh, and the, the question, what is your name, uh, and what do you have to do with him, that was to, to uh, cast them out. That came late in the sermon, and then my other question, how is that, how is that refrain addressed to us, what, what does Jesus have to do with us? Well, to release us from our uh, enslavement by the devil, that also came across late in the sermon. I like very much uh, the, the way the dialogue played out uh, with us. When we ask Jesus, what do you have to do with us? He asks us, what is your name, as he asked the, the legion of demons, and the answer was sinner. But now Jesus gives us a new name, saint. Ultimately, I thought that the question was answered uh, in the textual way. It was a little longer coming than I would have preferred. I would have liked to see uh, the textual answers coming a little sooner rather than just the, the attractive uh, rhetorical flourish. But in the end, I thought it, it really uh, uh, addressed the question from the text in uh, a very good, solid textual answer, both to the demons, what does he have to do with, uh, with the demons? He's come to cast them out. And what does he have to do with us? That is, he has come to release us from, from our uh, enslavement. Uh, ultimately, I thought that Pastor Katchelmeyer uh, got to a very solid textual answer to the very clear theme that he had given us. So the question is, with just a minute before we have to take a break, did that buzzer-beater shot go in and win the game? The shot goes up. Everyone holds his breath. 20,000 people in the arena wondering, swish, it went a in. winner. Oh, it went in. It went in. And, 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 and the best part of it was it really was a buzzer beater because I would say that Pastor Katchelmeyer was behind with uh, uh, four minutes to go, three minutes to go, two minutes to go, and his late, clear answers to the question beat the buzzer with a winning answer. Hey, congratulations, Pastor Ketchemeyer. <laughs> <laughs> it's a shame that Pastor Wolfner isn't here to hear all this. He'll <laughs> hear it one of these days. <laughs> I, think, I think he knew. I think he had a suspicion. So he's, oh, I'm going to go through security and I'm going to hang up. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all the time we have for this segment. And Pastor Vakincher, uh, uh, Pastor we're going to let you go. But I'm looking forward to seeing you in July and encourage all the listeners who want to come to sign up uh, to the continuing ed class, uh, the timeless message of law and gospel in our today's ears actually hearing it. It'll be a delight. Thank you so much for the invitation today and uh, for later on in the summer. Thank you, Evan. You betcha. Don't go away. More Table Talk Radio right after this. We're going to be talking with uh, more with Pastor Ketchemeyer. Don't go away.
not included. You're on Table Talk Radio. Man, I wasn't. I'm glad I wasn't around to hear my <laughs> Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. Pastor Wolfmiller has just rejoined the broadcast, and boy, does <laughs> had no idea what he missed. Uh, fan- phenomenal sermon from Pastor Ketchermeyer. Um, that was all I know. Go into oh, that's the, all I hear. Brad gloating in the background. The, that I lost. It'll go in the history books of Iron Preacher forever. <laughs> Did you get to buzz him? Title. He lost the title, right? Yeah. No, it's prepared to honorary title. <laughs> you can't lose it. It's like uh, it's like president. You know, even when you're after your term is up, you're still called Mister President. That's how I am preacher is. <laughs> <laughs> sure, it is. All right, so uh, um, Pastor Ketchma, you were just telling me what we're uh, our uh, discussion for this last segment is what again? I was telling you. Yeah, justification in the. Uh, I, I'm interested in this from Pastor Ketchumar because he knows something about this that nobody else does, and that is, uh, did the early church teach the doctrine of justification? How about that for a topic? Yeah. So we know, we know. Look, we know. This is what we know. We know that justification is taught in the prophets. I mean, forgiveness of sins was preached in Jesus' name. We know that the doctrine of justification was taught clearly by Jesus and the apostles. We know that by time you get to the Lutheran Reformation, that most theologians uh, coming out of the Middle Ages were, at best, very confused about the doctrine of justification and what it meant to be righteous in the eyes of God. Now, uh, that has led some Lutherans to think, well, that, that means just there's kind of a blank in the preaching of the gospel from the time of, uh, you know, after John the, uh, of Patmos dies, John the Revelator, John the Apostle, uh, and then he dies, and then that's it. Uh, you got like a every all of a sudden it switches to works righteousness until Luther comes along. I suspect that that is not the truth. Now I don't know. I don't have proof for that, but I'm suspecting that's not actually how the history unfolded. What do you think, Pastor? That's what I want to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Well, in the early church, my uh, my favorite uh, church father is the Cyril of Alexandria. And Cyril of Alexandria is Bishop of Alexandria. Uh, you're looking in the 5th century. And, and as Bishop, he, he's not just some kind of bureaucrat off in some kind of a palace somewhere, and he's just uh, creating bylaws and constitutions and stuff uh, that we're supposed to follow. But instead, uh, Cyril of Alexandria is a, a grade A theologian. I mean, he is a theologian that is he's an exegete. He's going through the Old Testament, and this is where he's getting his rich theology from the Old Testament as he sees it fulfilled in the New Testament. And so with Cyril of Alexandria, he is bishop, and he is overseeing the theology, how Christology is being taught in his realm. For him, one of the big concerns and issue, of course, is Nestorianism, where you, you're separating this, this human nature of the Christ uh, from the divine nature, and you end up with two different separate persons. You have a person who's the son of the, the Father, begotten from all eternity, and then you have a different person who is the son of the Virgin Mary, the son of David. 
And so he's, he's interested in Christology and proclaiming Christ clearly. But this whole theology that he gets is drawn from the Old Testament. And what's most fascinating is when you read Cyril talking about the Old Testament prophets, like, for instance, Isaiah, he can't help but talk about justification by faith over and over and over again. When he talks about the minor prophets, again, it's the reoccurring theme that we are justified through faith. And for Cyril, you can see this most clearly in the conversion of the Gentiles, because these Gentiles are the, the unclean. These are the impious. These are the unbelievers. These are the unrepentant. Uh, these are the people who are not God's people. They're in darkness. But that gospel message will come to the Gentiles and convert them and bring them to faith, and in that faith they are justified. They are declared righteous so that you see this clearly in the conversion of the Gentiles in which God justifies the sinner. He justifies the impious, the one who is, has wickedness and sin riddled throughout his body and his actions, his deeds, his thoughts, and everything that he does, but yet he stands justified by faith. I got this quote that uh, Bryce sent me. This is from Cyril of Alexandria. It says, the law, for its part, was given through Moses. Remember why it was, then, that for what reason will Paul teach in these terms? The law came in with the result that trespass multiplied, and Scripture imprisoned all in disobedience so that it might be merciful to all. It was therefore established, that is, the Scripture Moses, as an indicator of sin, as it were, proof of everyone's weakness, so that since it was incapable of justifying sinners, and instead it condemned them, the grace of liberality through Christ had then to be introduced to justify the impious and free from sin those guilty of them. So, just fantastic. So, Pastor Wolfman, if, you, if I had given that quote to you as a game of um, name that theologian, would you be maybe guessing some uh, Reformation theologians? I would. I would. We should have played that game. Wish I would have thought about that a minute ago. Sorry, <laughs> Devin, I guess won. we said this. I'll play. We can play right now. I want you to guess who said this. Accordingly, investigation is not possible of the understanding of God who plans all things wisely, on the one hand giving the law so as to offer condemnation of sin, and on the other sending the Son from heaven so as to justify by faith those in sin. I'm going to guess Cyril of Alexandria. You are right! Ah. I'm good at this game. <laughs> That's his commentary on Isaiah, some, some, some part of Isaiah. I don't know, Isaiah chapter 40 or something. Yeah, yeah and, so this, and you see it throughout Isaiah, of course. Uh, even Cyril writes this, uh, this book or kind of collected sermon slash commentary on Luke's gospel, uh, so the gospel according to St. Luke. And he's constantly talking about this mercy that we have from God, that we obtain this mercy through him and we are justified through faith, the faith that is in him. And so it's this reoccurring theme throughout uh, Luke's gospel that he constantly is telling us, that this is the fulfillment of what Isaiah said and all the prophets, that uh, we would be justified, declared righteous in God's sight for the sake of Jesus, and this is received through faith. Uh, Pastor Ketchermeyer, how has the um, general non-denom, the American evangelical, the person who kind of goes into the normal big-box church, um, what is their view of justification, typically speaking? Well, I, 
I would say, typically speaking, they have no view of justification. (laughs) It's not on their radar screen. They're not looking out the window at it. It's not before their eyes. It's not something that's talked about much. It's not something that's preached about or meditated upon that people are thinking about. And so if you were to just give a survey or poll and ask the average typical box store uh, American evangelical, they would look at you puzzled and probably not even not even being able to understand the terminology of justification. Because for American uh, Christianity, it's more about this this born-again experience. For them, that's the gospel. It's some kind of a, an emotional response that they're trying to, to trigger within you through some kind of a strategy or a method. They're trying to get you to, to have this emotional experience, and then they label that a born-again experience, and now you've been saved. And, and so for them, that's the gospel. It's this emotional experience. And I think that that also gives us an indicator of the problem or with American Christianity is we really don't understand in American culture what spirituality is. We equate spirituality with emotion and experience. And so that's why all of these American evangelical churches are catering to this. They're trying to give a spiritual experience to people with some kind of an entertainment extravaganza worship service with all kinds of music that that emotes these feelings so that you can feel spiritual in the presence of God. But see, that's not so with the historic church. They, now remember, the American Christianity has intentionally severed ties with the historic church. Now the Lutheran church, on the other hand, we intentionally retain that historical root in the historical church. And so that's why we constantly look at theologians like Cyril of Alexandria, who talks about the Incarnation and justification, that this is very important to the early Church Fathers, and it's important to us. And so that when we look at this, we understand spirituality correctly as God gives it to us, that spirituality, that the spiritual realm is invisible. God is invisible, but it's in the Incarnation in which the invisible God becomes visible, so that when you see the Son, you see the Father. So that when you have the incarnate one, now you have God being revealed to you. You now see the unseen. And so the the incarnation gives to us this spiritual reality in a physical, visible, tangible sense. Now this, of course, comes through the preaching of the Word. Therefore, when we talk about justification, that's the preaching of Christ. That's the preaching of the Word. That's the declaration of our righteousness, which is Jesus. And so that is preached to us. It's a reality that is heard, and it's a reality that we cannot see or feel, but it's a reality that is spoken to us, that we now stand righteous before God for the sake of Christ. Well said. I got a question. Well, we got to go, actually, but thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. (laughs) Where the points are like the game Iron Preacher. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. (laughs) Table Talk Radio is not for everyone. Please consult your pastor before listening to Table Talk Radio. Side effects may include nausea, vomiting, headache, heartburn, hair loss, hallucinations, and aversion to incomplete sentences with aquatic imagery, psychosis, coma, death, halitosis, lung cancer, brain tumors, sleep pain, internal bleeding, internal combustion, a sudden craving to smell your backseat, claustrophobia, an uncontrollable urge to fight the Calvinists on Twitter, and falling off your treadmill. For more information, visit tabletalkradio.org.